Last year, I got into watching Formula One. At first glance, Formula One, just like any other racing, is quite straightforward. Pilot your vehicle around the track and finish before anyone else. However, once you begin to watch some racing, it dawns on you how complicated everything is. From tyre management to car design, everything is meticulously thought out. On this episode of Conversations with Stardust, I am joined by Stuart Taylor, the creator of an incredibly polished educational Formula One YouTube channel called Chainbear. On his channel, Stuart has gained over 500,000 subscribers who flock to watch his detailed breakdowns of Formula One rules, statistics, races, physics, and strategies. In this episode, we talk about his journey to becoming a YouTube creator and his creative process. And then, of course, his thoughts and feelings about various topics in the F1 paddock. I hope you enjoy a conversation. I want to talk a little bit about your like YouTube stuff, like your actual content creation side, and then a little about your kind of thoughts on different motorsport stuff, mainly Formula One stuff, because that's like kind of what I know some degree about. But <laughs> sure, um, me too. Yeah. So let's go. Let's start with YouTube. So, what got you into making YouTube videos in the first place? Well, I mean, it wasn't ever my intention to be a YouTube person. Is like a significant part of my career but um i guess it well so my background is a bit all over the place my education it was in uh maths and physics um but also a little bit of art um i was actually originally planning to do like a fine arts degree but uh here in here in the mm -hmm. uk you kind of have to do a foundation in art before you can go fully into the degree kind of build up your right. portfolio and things and i and i did that and i hated that entire experience and it really put me off yeah. just like um, doing art in a kind of structured educational way. So I then switched yeah. back to my other love, which was sort of the sciences. So then I ended up doing yeah. maths and physics and I went through oh, a very meandering sort of career of, um, I, I worked in the energy industry for a bit. I did um, analysis, a little bit finance focus, which I hate, I hate finance with a mm -hmm. burning passion. <laughs> um, and then I ended up working for education um I, I i almost became a teacher straight out of university to, to become a math teacher and then and then right. didn't because i people who sort of become teachers in me okay i've not, not disparaged the entire teaching community but there is a there is a uh <laughs> it, it's not a negative thing but um people who become teachers i think immediately straight out of university it's i had this sense in my mind that you never really saw mm. the real world in a, in a sense i think yeah yeah because i spoke you know i was i was thinking about pursuing like further education and stuff. And I spoke to people who were like professors and stuff and they genuinely asked what it was like having a real job and what, what that's like. It was, it was, it was sort yeah. of just a bizarre kind of concept to them. And, you know, it's fine. You live in a teacher world. It's a very, uh, most people are teachers for life and, and that's the world they live in. But I sort of mm -hmm. wanted to be like, okay, well, what's, what's actually the real world like um probably a mistake on my behalf because it's not great <laughs> no um anyway I, w I end up working in the education field um for a charity that um teaches schools how to teach maths better right right uh, 
Um, because often maths is taught in a very rote way. You learn how this equation works. You learn how to solve this problem and then you just get those problems in the exam and you know how to solve them. And then you leave school and you don't remember. And it's gone. It's it's gone. Like, and as as a practical tool, it's, it's not something you keep with you. So this was Mm. more about kind of getting people to actually understand how maths works and how to use it to solve problems and actually to actually help empower people who considered themselves not maths people and yeah. try and get rid of that idea that you're either a maths person or you're a you know you're either are and you aren't and that's sort yeah. of a a misunderstanding i think and i think everyone can understand maths or the harder sciences or, yeah, or, yeah. or things they don't think they can it's just a matter of reaching them mm. um so all of that is a bit of a prelude to there was a there was a i think uh, 2016 formula one which I've been into for many years, but Formula yeah. One um, introduced a new rule where instead of using two types of tyres um, through a race weekend, you had three types of tyres. Yeah. And in order to make this work, um, the rules, which we're all very familiar with now, where you have to use two compounds during the race and you have to give some back and, and some get taken away. And you have, so At the time, it was very complicated and um, no one was explaining how it worked. Right. All they were doing was regurgitating the press release that sort of right, the FIA put right. out. Like these are news. There was no one who actually broke it down, and I could see people getting very confused. So I spent a little bit of time looking into it and trying to like map out, you know, exactly how this would work across the weekend. And I made it into like a little video, which was essentially just a PowerPoint presentation, which uh, I think was one of my skills. I could put together quite nice PowerPoint presentations. I had a lot of. Uh, visual communication skills I guess and I kind of put that out it was a sort of a nine minute video with narration over the top that kind of showed where all the tires went and and I kind of tweeted it and didn't Mm -hmm. really think about it and I think because people were and were actually clamoring for this information as I think I've I've now realized that people are clamoring for information generally with F1 like the complicated things needing to be kind of just broken down Uh, it got picked up by a few websites embedded into their articles and like, this is how it works. Um, and it gained a lot of traction um, before I really realized it. And I sort of came back and looked it after a month and it had like 20,000 views or something, um, despite being the only video I'd ever made. Yeah, um, yeah. Which sort of then sort of led to the impetus of me being like, okay, this is interesting. I might start doing a bit more of this. And so if you look at the first few, maybe three or four videos on my website, um, uh-huh. on my website, on my channel, they're clearly all very PowerPoint. They're very sort of yeah. low quality. I don't have a proper microphone and stuff like that, but yeah. they're all just like, but the bare basics of what my channel is, is there, yeah. which is just sort of explaining things that are maybe a little bit complicated or yeah. shrouded in jargon. Yeah. Yeah. And just making it kind of visual. And I was using a lot of the things that I'd been learning and using, working with this educational organization about just trying to reach people and kind of make, help them to understand, mm-hmm. have a more, comp- I think that's the whole point of my channel. I want people to have a more comprehensive understanding. I don't want to just fire jargon at them. Yeah. Um, which I think is a lot of what you get when you hear, when you hear commentary, when you hear like them talking on TV, yeah. when you read magazines and actually in a way you understand that because they, they're not going to go back to the very basics every single time they bring no. up DRS, every single time they bring up tire wear. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I end up being that kind of like go-to for people who are like, okay, well, how does this actually work? What are yeah. the fundamentals? What, how? My my goal is for people to watch Formula One and be able to make these kind of like analyses themselves. Yeah, if they understand exactly. how tire wear works, 
then they can see how what's happening during the race and they could be like actually be, be saying oh this would be a good time for someone to change tires or this yeah. would be so that's that's what i kind of want i want people to like feel that they understand it for themselves yeah it's like you're teaching it, it's you're, you're teaching people how to think rather than teaching them how to just memorize stuff and that's yeah that's that's the goal and it's you know and you telling all of that like prelude stuff and then coming to that kind of very general like answer on how you want to teach stuff has answered so many of the things that i wanted to talk about it's, <laughs> it's crazy because your videos now are like very refined in terms of animation and style and stuff so it's interesting have you found that a difficult process you know kind of polishing it up as you've gone through going from the powerpoint style mm -hmm. and now coming through to what people recognize your videos to be yeah i i try i mean that the um i guess development curve my personal development curve is as is is less steep now mm. i think but it was always my goal because i didn't i mean i use after effects which is a sort of animation tool yep. to, to make all my videos um and i didn't know it. I didn't know it at all when mm -hmm. I started, but I knew I needed to use something. And I was another fortunate thing in that. Uh, so I wasn't an educator when I worked for this organization before, but I was working in sort of um, communications and working with the educationists, people who were all like ex-teachers and things um, and helping them uh, create things like videos and stuff. So yeah. I was sort of working on videos with them at the time and I um, got an Adobe suite there and I'd started to sort of learn to use after effects a little bit there um so i had this kind of basis um when i eventually left and and then moved on to focusing on U youtube which was again not my goal when i left there yeah, yeah, i yeah. um i was just I, I sort of left and i had a little bit of time on my hands and i thought i could focus on this and 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 it'll be a nice little side project and uh luckily it's blossomed into more than that um yeah it was always my goal as i was creating more videos to kind of learn a new skill or mm -hmm. technique within after effects or animation or stuff like every time i made a video even if it was something quite small yeah um because it's a complicated bit of kit as i think all mo you know most media and creative software is and i think the best way to learn it is you just you have to give yourself some kind of goal i want to make this kind of animation or i want to make this kind of graphic and i'm gonna follow six tutorials until i get yeah. it looking how i want to uh and then that's information you've got and you can keep using so yeah you'll you'll sort of you'll definitely see as you go through time on my channel how my videos have got yeah yeah not necessarily more complicated looking but i think um a little bit smoother and mm. a little bit slicker maybe and uh and, and less janky yeah um so that's i mean it's been really that's that's been an interesting thing to me as well the kind of self-taught uh exactly learning things yeah and and and, and like you said, they don't they haven't really got more complicated. It is just certainly that more refined element. So did you find when you've got I guess a concept or something that needs to be explained or taught and educated to people, did you find have you found it easier as you've gone on to find ways to explain that? Or was, you know, from your background in working in education stuff, have you always found it easy explaining stuff to people? Um I think the background in the education side of things uh, has certainly helped. And I've definitely uh, learned a lot myself about yeah. how people ab absorb information. I think the core element of it is there. And I think actually the core element always starts with with, with me trying to understand 
uh, what's happening um, because of my channel mostly comes from I, I'm not a um, you know a, a Craig Scarborough or many of the people who are like ex Formula One engineers yeah, who are now yeah. writing for the racer or to spot or whatever. I'm not a sort of walking encyclopedia of engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a you know a background in science and mm-hmm. and things like that which help me sort of break down more technical information but actually a lot of the time or especially early on I was starting from asking a question myself mm-hmm. how does you know how does break cooling work and what are the materials involved and why is it important and how do they solve this I you know I'm asking that question so I can then research that translate that into something that as many people as possible can can understand and access because when you get you know everything's very very technical when you yeah, go online yeah. and try and understand it and then try and kind of reverse engineer that kind of process i had of of, of figuring it out myself and then right, kind of giving that giving that back so a lot of it comes from that process and like what were the difficulties i had in right, kind of breaking yeah. apart this very technical concept or very mm-hmm. technical like a complicated set of rules they were introducing or or decisions that were made a lot of it just comes from like okay what were the problems i had in understanding that and how did i how did i break it down so mm-hmm. that i i got it what are the core concepts so that's that's i think maybe the, the, the strength of my channel and that's the sort of the, the main the main core of it um i'm actually very bad at retaining information it gets worse as i get older and i and yeah. things are just sort of flying in and out of my head not mm-hmm. really staying so uh, i would probably be very bad at just being a sort of live technical consultant yeah. where they just fly to me and oh, just hit my microphone <laughs> where they just fly to me and um you know ask me a complicated question because i just have, don't have the information retained yeah, yeah. in my head very easily um but what i am very good at is is, is researching and then breaking it down and mm-hmm. communicating i think that's uh and i think that's what people probably appreciate yeah i agree it is very much i think a place that lots of people go to figure these complicated formula one aspects out like you say that are devoid of all the technical stuff it is very much the concept and then you know through you go um do you have a favorite style of video um that you like to make because obviously you do your like weekend roundup stuff where you talk about a gp Mm -hmm. that's just happened uh and then you've got your more technical aspects or you've got your more historical stuff like looking at track layouts and looking at um protection throughout the year for example so do you have a favorite type of video to make i don't know if i have a favorite type of video i think i um sometimes it depends on what i'm sort of energized by or inspired by mm-hmm. so yeah. like let so i think historically what i'm known for is sort of just picking one concept and kind of like opening it out like origami just sort of breaking it all down um and then like you say sometimes i've kind of looked back and just given them a more you know i might break down some stats from across yep. a period of time and like do some comparison um often those come from what people are you know talking about at the time and um there were time during the mercedes domination period where people were like oh it would have been different if the yeah. points were like this or the rules were yeah. like this so then i'd ex- i'd sort of explore that um which was actually though those videos were like very fun because i'd end up just downloading huge amounts of tables and databases from wherever i could find and then because i'm actually i don't have uh database skills i don't like have like sql or, or yeah, like, yeah. i can't just run a program t- to interrogate it i just make these like humongously bulky <laughs> excel programs and like really complicated um 
VBA and, and formula and stuff and just let them <laughs> chug away Turn until I could get some yeah, answers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, people who actually code and use databases would uh, cringe horribly at that, but that's, that's <laughs> just how I'd have to do it. Yeah. Um, but th- those were quite fun because then you could create some kind of visual graphics and graphs yeah. and things that break things down. Um, and, and this year I've sort of been doing, like you say, these weekend roundups, which I, th- I, well, I was reaching a point where I was getting a little bit worried because I was like, you know, there's only so many kind of fundamental topics. This was something I was going to ask you about. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, and some you come back to a little bit because you'd either need a refresher or like the rules mm-hmm. have changed slightly and, you know, you get new people coming along all the time and mm-hmm. it's, it's okay to kind of rehash certain things, but I'm not going to be talking about tire wear 10 times no. a year. It's, it's kind of like I've covered that for the most part. Yeah. Um, and so on. And if new rules come along, I can talk about that and stuff, but, but, Essentially, the kind of new topics coming along do not come along fast enough for the as much content as I want to make. Yeah. But having got all this stuff kind of like in in the bag, in the archive that I can refer to. So now what I've been doing, not exclusively, and I've got a couple of ideas for kind of topics I want to cover, but cool. we can talk about what happened in the weekend. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about, you know, whatever rules of engagement, track limit, how strategies played out and stuff. Yeah. Knowing that we've kind of got some of this information down in other videos that we can refer to. Mm. And then I can just kind of cover it slightly more, more lightly. And we can, we can just sort of analyze what's happened. That's been, um, that's been, that's, that's been quite nice. And people sort of like having a little bit of a breakdown of the weekend like that, but I'm sort mm-hmm. of, uh, got a little list of like things I want to make to actual like classic videos on again. Um, but these have been a kind of, I, at the beginning of the year, I sort of had a, 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 a crisis of inspiration and stuff. So it's been a little bit nice to just know I can kind of break down these topics in a weekend. Yeah, yeah. But I think my, 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 my favorite type of video is is definitely like, here is a thing. Yeah. Let's investigate it and, and break it open and, and dissect it into parts so we all fully yeah. understand it by the end of the video. Cool. Um, that's definitely the thing I like the most. Yeah. And especially when you feel that like, like you said, said right at the start, that hit of like inspiration that you want to do it. And so it makes mm-hmm. the process so much easier going through. Yeah, I feel the same for my stuff generally. It, I'm not going to do something if I don't really want to do it because it's going to be so much harder. Yeah. And probably in the end, a just worse product, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're not like got the energy behind it when you're absolutely. making it, it's, yeah. you just feel like often videos for me, especially like single topic videos and mm-hmm. not necessarily like weekend roundups come I'll sort of I'll sort of have a few of like things oh I want to sort of make a video about this and this and this yep. floating on my head for like a few weeks and often they like blossom in the shower like I'll yep. just I'll be in the shower and then suddenly I'll have this like this is how I want to explain it or this is <laughs> yeah. a key part I want to have in the yeah. video and then that will give me just the momentum to be like okay cool I want to do this now. I've got this yep. thing down now. I can build everything around yep. this concept of explanation yep. or, or or graphic or something. And then it mm-hmm. just balls, goes from there. It's sort of, yeah, it needs a kind of spark. And yeah. then I'm there. Yeah. For me, it's just in bed when I'm about to go to sleep for some reason. The worst time mm-hmm. to be thinking about something <laughs> like that. How long do your videos generally ballpark? Some of them obviously will take a bit longer. But so let's say from when you get that hit of, of inspiration and right, let's actually go. How long would you say they take? They, I think they probably take a, a less time than some people think. I think mm-hmm. the long time is the kind of, um, 
the beginning tail end where yes. it's where I'm sort of mulling a lot. But actually, mm-hmm. once I get the spark of inspiration, I sort of enter a bit of a manic phase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I just work on it like nonstop. Yeah. Throughout the day, it's a very long day. So it sort of start early and, yeah, and yeah. end quite late. Um, and then you know, often those could be like just just three or four days from yeah yeah starting to write notes down to then making a script and editing yeah. it and making audio and then making the like it, it, it all kind of goes quite fast mm-hmm. once I get going and then some you know sometimes I have to like push that even more. There have been been times you know the weekend roundups are one thing, but there are like, there were times when I was like something happened before I did sort of like weekend um, um what I call them talking points yeah. Um, something would happen during the weekend. Um, I don't know. There may be some dodgy pit stop or some yeah. stewarding decision that's thing, and then I just like have to immediately like fire as hard as possible, right? Because again, there is an element of like missing the moment. Yeah, yeah. When everyone's talking about it, and everyone's looking for the information, they really yeah, you don't want to be like two weeks late on some talking point, do you? No, no. I, no. And I think you know, and that's you know, that's partly from uh, just uh, getting people to look at your YouTube video point yeah, of view, yeah. and partly from uh, you know people people want to know things yeah <laughs> and yeah, yeah. you want to have that ready for them to to, to look at um, especially when there's a lot of sort of maybe misinformation is a strong word but a lot of sort of uh, uh, misinformed talk sometimes yeah, and people can yeah. get very animated and angry about things that well especially of, oh, when oh. it is right after and there's that really you know race happens something's happened in the race people go to it instantly and they'll look at mm-hmm. the first thing that's out and so rather than a it's just kind of who can get it out first is going to get the traction and get the, you know, viewership. Yes. And that could be as really good or it could be terrible if the information isn't up to scratch almost. Now, moving into a little bit more of like the actual Formula One aspect of stuff. It, um, these questions are purely for my interest. Do you have <laughs> a favorite team? I, 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 I don't, honestly. Um, a long way before I became sort of content creator person and would even feel a professional need to have some kind of neutrality. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have been pretty neutral, like not purely neutral. Um, yeah. Like I, you know, I, I enjoy just, you know, having a good race, having a good season. Yeah. I will say what tends to happen is if, if it sort of all looks like it's going one person's way, then I start rooting for the other person, <laughs> that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so at the so at the moment I tend to find myself being um, like oh go on Leclerc have a good race yeah or, yeah, you know, yeah overtake Max because I do because you know I think Max is I don't exactly what it, he's got a forty point lead or something like that now and I think, yeah. uh, just let's close that up a little bit yeah um, but you know at the beginning of the season when Le- Leclerc had a thirty seven point lead or something I was like okay Max come on let's just come on yeah yeah <laughs> it's really funny um you know I did used to um. I sport, you know, I, I sported Jaguar when they came in. Um, that was quite near to the beginning of where I started watching Formula One, like mm-hmm. properly, properly. Um, my first full season of watching was nineteen ninety nine. I watched every single race since then. I, I started. I actually yeah. started in the in the middle of ninety eight, but like I f- like fully committed through ninety nine, uh-huh. getting getting up for Australia and Japan, and all that. Mm-hmm. And I was. Uh, when, when Jaguar came in and took over, I thought, I know Jaguar and, you know, British Racing Green. And I you know, yep. that, what it, that was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and I, you know, I used to, I supported Lewis when he came in in his early years because yep. I thought that was a real Wonder Kid kind of story. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but generally, I've just been there for like uh, the the joy of it. Really, yeah. I I remember when I started watching Formula One. 1999 michael schumacher was like a bit of an, a bit of an underdog story like right. not maybe not completely underdog but like he yeah. was you kind of came in knowing his history he'd won two titles he'd come in mm-hmm. and he joined ferrari to like achieve the dream of like again ferrari at that point hadn't won like 20 years or something they were like mm-hmm. having a terrible time with things and and there was this transformational story so i was really behind michael schumacher winning yeah. i thought like you've got to get your third title you've got to win with ferrari i mean little did i know this would turn into five yeah. years of utter domination but you know at, at the time it was it was exciting and then mm-hmm. of course you shifted like come on Coulthard come on Alonso, <laughs> anyone yeah and, and actually yeah he ended up being a bit less dominant than Mercedes were really but again yeah so yeah my I don't have a favorite particular team um mm-hmm. some teams uh annoy me more than others I can't say Right now, I'm a particular fan of Red Bull because I feel mm-hmm. like they go out of their way to be as annoying as, as possible. <laughs> but, um, and I, I actually think, yeah, I have a kind of thing against Red Bull more. I don't have, have a thing in particular against like Max Verstappen or anyone, but I think it's just Red Bull. Uh-huh. I, I don't think you're the only person who thinks that. So <laughs> No, I know. And I'm sure there probably are Max Verstappen fans who maybe don't like Red Bull that much. But yeah, yeah. You know, that I think some things stick in your craw more than others. Yeah. I just, I, I, you know, I think we're probably going to go through a period of um, the Max Verstappen era, mm. uh, uh, and you know, part of me thinks he could easily break all these records that Hamilton himself has broken. He came yeah. in even earlier, and he's got even longer ahead of him. Um, and if he breaks those records, then he'd deserve it. But I hope he gets, challenged. <laughs> I hope he has yeah, a challenge yeah. along the way. Yeah, I, I hope so too, for the sake of of fans everywhere and the sake of good racing. I hope so. Mm-hmm. What do you like the most about... This is just a broad question. What do you like the most about Formula One in general? Mm, that is a good question. Um, it's interesting because I kind of started from a just generally liking motorsport background. When I was yeah. a, a a little kid, we had uh, family friends and the, the, the guy, it was that, well, that they were like a married couple, but the, the guy would, he was a big rally guy. Mm-hmm. And a big, you know, he had he loved and he loved bike racing and stuff. So he used to take me off to things. He used to take me to to banger racing if you have that, um, and off to rallies and see. And he got me into like the, just you know watching motorsports as, as a little kid, um, which I kept for quite a while. It waned a little bit in my early teens, and then I got back into Formula One. So I kind of originally liked it just from a car racing point of view. Um, and I think what hooks you, and I think what hooks you with almost any sport, are the people. And the stories, I think, you know, you can, you could tell someone how a sport works, where the ball's supposed to go, where the people are, you know, how you score points and how cars go fast and so on, you know, but until you've got some interesting story that you can hook them into. Yeah. Um, which again, 1998, they were like, okay, there's this thing between Mika Hacker and Michael Schumacher and it's getting kind of tense and, yeah, this, yeah. you know, um, you know, that's, that's the thing that hooks you in. I think that's the thing that keeps you hooked. I think that is also what, uh, why Drive to Survive has been so successful in bringing new people into the sport because yeah, it taps into what I think we all love about it, whether or not we we could talk yeah. about athleticism and engineering till the cows come home. But I don't think yeah. it'd be very interesting. 
unless we had some like interesting people be they racers be they team bosses be they the, the, the rivalries and and what be going mm-hmm. on for however long um to, to keep you hooked in and i think at the end of the day gets me and that's what keeps me the the, the, the stories and the stories aren't necessarily yeah. about rivalries between drivers or, or between teams or the championship fight no. the stories can be anything from well i think the thing that's had me hooked for a long time is knowing that these new rules are going to be coming this year yeah and we've had that developing and bubbling away for like three or four years from the very idea that we need to do something to hear some ideas to here's a concept car to it's coming in 2021 oh now it's coming in 2022 you know it's that that's been sort of teased and hooked for a long time and now we're seeing it play out and now we're getting to see what worked what didn't how it actually functions and and actually <laughs> joyously yeah seeing that it's actually actually pretty effective and has made quite a dramatic it change is, yeah um so yeah it, it, it's 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 stuff like that it's stuff that's happening now it's stuff that's teased for the future it's seeing young drivers come through and and spotting who you think's need who needs to be in a in a top seat watching like george russell be in williams for three years but but wondering what his potential was if he actually did yeah, get into do it yeah, yeah and things like that and when will well, Carlos Sainz, for example, when will he get an opportunity to mm. shine? And 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 you know, I don't tend to like to to, uh, to talk this way, but like you know, who's there that maybe doesn't need to be there? There's a lot of that kind of discourse yeah, yeah. as well. And, you know, it's a it's a crowded driver market, and of people get is. very animated about who should be there and who shouldn't mm-hmm. because if you have like half an eye on things like Formula Two and stuff, you you know that there's a lot of talent there that then yeah doesn't make it to Formula One, even though they've won championships and the money's not there or the situation isn't right yeah. and they end up sort of going other places and then we kind of wonder well what what if um mm. so yeah honestly it's that it's the narrative and, and the story and stuff like that yeah. the, the the strategy and the technology and stuff i, I do find uh, very interesting but i don't yeah, think i would have stuck around for as long if it <laughs> if if no, i hadn't got it was into just me. these blank faces with no narrative behind them um you mentioned in there the new the new rigs and stuff um so you're pleased with them you, you're happy with the changes they've made in terms of the whole i don't know you know the whole scene of formula one now with this new year and these new regulations you're, you're generally happy with and, and glad they're here yes i think um i think we were we weren't sure exactly how it would play out and i think okay well okay there are a number of fronts on this but if we if we start with the sort of um aerodynamics the way they've transformed the car they've added ground effect they've got rid of complicated wings and stuff like that with the aim to allow closer racing and i think the effect of that is not that it's made Mm -hmm. overtaking easier it's not it's not like sort of um you know it's not a solution that's meant we can Mm -hmm. just get rid of drs because they can overtake now and so on but um, but that wasn't necessarily the point what it has done is it has meant that cars can race close to each other and keep racing close to each other lap after lap after lap. Yeah, yeah. Previously, the the complicated, you know, aero wash off the back of the of the car in front meant that a car approaching from behind could get close, maybe have a go at overtaking, but then they could they were, couldn't stay close because staying close would um wreck their tires because it would give them a lot of understeer uh, and 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 make racing behind them very complicated make the cars overheat now because we got rid of a lot of that cars can get close they can have a go and overtake yeah maybe the overtake doesn't work but then they can have a go at the next lap on the next lap that you're seeing cars stay and, and sometimes we're seeing this kind of cars all 
concertina together and stay in like oh well, last weekend at austria when we had that pack of five just come through right it was you know it's amazing and that's the kind of thing that we've allowed to sort of happen it and it and i think guaranteeing overtakes and making things a bit like you know motorbike racing which you know benefits from having cars uh, well, car bikes that are very narrow you know yeah. you see a lot of swapping of positions and it's a very different style of racing and we're not necessarily looking to get that because i think there's formula one benefits from the tension of will yeah. there be an overtake and having overtakes mm-hmm. build over a certain amount of laps and, and things like that and and they really matter like they are you know like it builds and builds and builds and then it's like is it gonna get off and it is risky to get you know yeah attempt to when the cars are so wide and the track is in many cases so narrow it's yeah and i think that's i think that's an important part of it obviously i think you know we shouldn't mm-hmm. make overtaking so incredibly difficult and i think monaco is proving mm. increasingly incompatible with what's happening in formula one and whether we need to change the cars or, or something i don't know but you know that's the sort of extreme yeah. end of things of when it's a bit too complicated but i think you know it yeah, should yeah. still be hard to overtake but we should always want we should always have the possibility of overtaking like not know that, yeah, they're, that they're just going to be stuck behind for 50 laps um, mm-hmm. so that side of things I think has worked really well the other side of things I think we're sort of um, so there's um, uh, the financial side of things yeah yeah where they've brought in this cost cap they brought in this staggered development cap where the teams that are highest placed in the previous six months get less time in the wind tunnel less time in the computer models to develop their cars and the, the ability to spend from teams has been severely limited for some of them um, yep. you know, we haven't seen that play out fully yet. Um, that's still sort of mm-hmm. a moment pro- process, but what we are seeing yeah, is, yeah. um, teams can't bring updates every single race, every weekend, which yeah. in previous years, you know, if you were Mercedes, you'd see teams bringing updates, be the minor ones, be the major ones, new front wings, new floors, you know, every weekend there'd be something, whereas your Alfa Romeos and your Williams wouldn't be able to do that. Now this year everyone is sort of very similar boat they're like okay we've got basically two major upgrades this year we might bring in a new wing here a new thing here like every few races but essentially we're very limited in how much we can develop this car Uh, uh, and again and we're going to see how this plays out in kind of year on year because again they're limited in you know what they can do in making a car for next year and then the year after that and stuff Mm -hmm. so hopefully this will create more parity between the teams and allow, you know, if Alfa Romeo, for example, low budget, but if they have good engineers, good, good, you know, management and working practices and and, and know how to develop a good car, they will be more able to bring their team, you know, closer to the front, for example. Whereas before they would have been hands tied behind their back because Mercedes and Ferrari could have just thrown hundreds of millions of dollars at the problem. So, you know, I think... You know, it's not going to like completely transform the grid overnight, but it gives smaller teams a chance to be competitive and, um, and I think most importantly, not go completely bankrupt and yeah. disappear, which is what has happened before and, and was sort of starting to become a bit of an issue. And yeah, um, especially kind of now, we didn't see this coming, but obviously the you know, uh, international, I don't know what you'd call yeah, it, yeah, e- yeah, the economy and stuff has become very difficult. So you know, if if we still had runaway costs in Formula One, I think teams would have a big issue <laughs> yeah do you think would you be interested in seeing regulation changes i'm not sure necessarily on the same scale but would you be interested in seeing regulation changes more often 
to to see some more experimentation and see more switch switch arounds really because as we've seen you know we've gone from mercedes dominance to now we've got these new regulation changes mm-hmm. and then it didn't change much but it, it did change yeah would you be interested in seeing stuff like that more often i would i would um for a number of reasons and partly the reason that you said is a, a sort of depending on the scale of the regulation change it kind of gives a little clean break for mm-hmm. uh, underdog teams or you know teams that aren't winning to kind of there, so so kind of what's happened this year there are there are more unknowns you know these are completely different cars yeah. you're kind of approaching an entirely new problem and so people come up with different solutions you mm. you're not looking you you can't you couldn't see what solutions teams had come up with to these regulations until they hit the testing track um uh, and this year was was um very surprising yeah. because actually these regulations were among the most restrictive that we've ever seen so there was an idea that oh all these cars would end up looking pretty much identical and then we got to testing and we saw like eight different designs. It was, it was amazing and, and fascinating. And, I, and, you know, maybe they'll start to coalesce into one ideal design. We, we'll see in the, in the following years. But yeah, but we get an opportunity for teams to like find their own solution to things. You're not just honing in on, you know, what you've been working on for the last six years, which is kind of what we, we'd got to. Um, so we have that aspect to it. I think also, well, there's two things. Partly we're sort of still understanding you know, how best to adapt aerodynamics and things yeah. like that and what we want and, and how they work. So, you know, it would be quite good if like every few years we updated that, made some changes. You know, I'm sure the, the technical working group for Formula One that makes these kind of rules are, are constantly kind of working on their own models with, with engineers and stuff and, and, and yeah. can hopefully improve on what we've already got. But there's also things like, what do we want F1 to be? F You know, Formula One is a technology sport. It's not like, um, it's, it's, you know, it's not like football or tennis where, you know, essentially the whole rules stay the same. You know, mm. I, don't know the, I, I don't know much about tennis, but I'm sure the, the bat, the racket technology improves and stuff. But there's a, but it's limited, isn't it? Um, with Formula One, we are constantly asking, well, we, we, we are in step with technology in the world as it improves. Like, yeah. you know, power units today are mm. not what power units were like. 30 years ago and we're i mean particularly with automotive technology we're in a massive transformational period about how power units work everything's going electric or hybrid or something in the next 10 or 20 years yeah. uh, and formula one is going to have to adapt mm. at least to some degree there's a lot of debate over whether they should ever go full electric but you know it's going to be something it's going to be more electric it's going to be more efficient um even if we keep some kind of combustion yeah. with e-fuels or some or some stuff but again if we move to e-fuels or biofuels or other fuels or more efficient types of engine that is a regulation chain so i i kind of believe we should have regular scheduled regulation changes Mm -hmm. be they like every four years we are going to have an update to the power unit regulations um every four years you know maybe offset with the powering but you know we're going to have a yeah the new aerodynamic rules and those could be fixed and teams will always know where they are. So we don't have to have all this debating and back and forth between the teams. Like this is, yeah. you know, this is going to be the deadline. This is what we're working towards. Um, people like, you know, engine yeah. manufacturers that want to join your Porsches, your Audis, who have sort of been like on the sidelines and stuff like that. They will know mm. that whatever, 2028, we've got new power unit regulations coming in. This is what they're going to look like. And they can decide if they want to be part of that or not. They, you know, yeah, we've kind of pushed out manufacturers a little bit by kind of all this weird back and forth mm-hmm. and debate and discussion and then pushing dates back and stuff like that rather than I think I think things would be a lot easier if we did if we did have this kind of regularity with things 
I think there's also, you know, discussing around what Formula One wants to be. I think, you know, we've got to this weird stage where the cars are very big and the cars are very heavy. And part of that is due to safety. Mm. But part of that is due to, you know, the cars got very long because um, the teams realized that was a very efficient way <laughs> of designing the cars. That um, So if we can find a way of like shrinking them up again without making it less safe for the drivers and again with weight if we can find a way of taking 100 kilos or something off the cars mm-hmm. without making you know the the crash structures weaker then i think that'd be very beneficial too and would make places like monaco more raceable mm. and things yeah. like that so I, you know i always think f1 should be evolving for its own sake as well as you know yeah. that kind of mixing up of of performance between teams we mentioned in there the um the the you know e-fuel or biofuel or even full electric you know, in the past week with the heat waves and stuff, there's been a lot of discussion about climate change mm-hmm. and as there always does need to be. There's different aspects of the kind of Formula One, you know, climate scene, whether it's the actual cars themselves in terms of fuel uh, and combustion or there's the absurd amount of tyres that are produced and used over a single weekend or it's the travel, which a lot of people don't often think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think are kind of some things you'd like to see as we go forward in a more climate conscious world, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on quite a lot of the the main issues here. One thing Mm. uh, Liberty sort of brought up quite early on when they took over Formula One in 2018-ish is that they wanted to kind of block out the calendar into regions. Yeah. So we would, for the most part, essentially, we'd do all the European races in one go. We do all the Asian races and you know Australia in that as well, yeah. like that side of things. And we do all the Middle East races in one block, and we do the American races in one block. There are some limitations with that, you know, because you kind of have some tracks you have to hit at a certain time of the yeah, year absolutely. for weather, climate regions reasons. But that was their goal because you know year on year we have this absurdity where, for example, we go Europe. Canada yeah. back to Europe like Azerbaijan and then it's like and again I mean Australia is weird in itself now because Australia is just kind of up by itself yeah, it used yeah. to kind of it used to be kind of near China you know part of the Chinese mm. leg and stuff like that but it's sort of just like and now we're going to Australia for a, a weekend and then we're going to come all the way back to Europe again I mean they could add a New Zealand Grand Prix I wouldn't be complaining I, I would welcome it <laughs> <laughs> um and I think you know that would also be beneficial for them you know that more reason to like yeah, yeah. be out there um but yeah so i think that's one of they they sort of gone a bit quiet on that in the last few years although i have heard some yeah, talk yeah. but i think yeah that's one part of it i think we need to kind of like stop this unnecessary travel there is a way of like being a bit more efficient about how we travel around um yeah of course i know pirelli are i haven't heard anything on this in a while this year pirelli were meant to be picking a few races where they right instead of giving every team 13 sets of tires they were going to give them fewer sets of tires and the regulation to be slightly right. different. They're going to say, okay, well, how does this, you know, is this, how functional is this? How workable is this? And if that worked, then that'd be something they do going forward. Because you're right, they burn through yeah. so many sets of tires. And other than like, you know, the using of the tires, there is the transporting of the tires. And if you can reduce how many tires you're transporting by a quarter, yeah, that makes a difference over 23 yeah, races, over God knows how many hundreds of thousands of miles. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's that side of it. I think the power unit side of things is interesting because I think there's a big question over how important it is mm. to have a combustion engine in a Formula One car, how important yeah. the sound is, you know, is that in the DNA of Formula One racing? Yeah. 
Formula E has been a really excellent. I mean, I enjoy Formula E. I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. Um, a lot of people don't like the sound of it, but you know that's a, a personal thing. Um, Formula E has been. I, you know, I hate. To, I, I feel it does a disservice to Formula E to call it a good testing ground. Yeah. But in terms of if you are looking at what electric single seater racing can do and might look like and what the limitations are and what the benefits are. You know, you know you've know, got Formula E right there doing things. And Formula E experiments a lot with format as well. It's like, it's a, it's an interesting sport to watch if you want to see things that motorsport could be doing and whether or not you like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mixed opinions on that. I think it's clear from Formula E that we are not ready yeah. and won't be ready for quite a while to kind of get rid of combustion engines altogether in Formula 1 and keep it at the same level. But the jumps Formula E making between generations of cars is formidable. Um, So I think in the next 10 years, there'll be a big case for like Mm -hmm. significantly increasing the amount of electric power in Formula 1 cars and possibly reducing the engines again. I think other than the expense, I think making the cars hybrid hasn't been bad for Formula One. I think it's been interesting. I think it's it's been just as fast. Um I think there are more things we could we could do with it. Um yeah, but in terms of like, you know, efficiencies and sustainability, I think it, it's tricky because there are tricky. so many parts of an international sport. Mm-hmm. And I think the travel is one of the main things. I think here's another thing that's again kind of tricky. Yeah. You know, we, we, we go to new venues, mm-hmm. we go to new countries and we get new hosts and then we get them, not always because sometimes we go to a street track, but, you know, to build new tracks for us. Saudi Arabia, for example, mm-hmm. they are building a new permanent proper facility for Formula One, uh, but they also built a, whatever, five-year street track mm-hmm. in inverted commas on the beach and stuff like that. But, you know, I I know a lot of people have opinions about Saudi Arabia, but it could be any country. You yeah, go to yeah. a new country, they build, they, build you a, they build you a new track, whatever. Um, and that is a, you know, a, a, a big endeavor. Of course it not is. Not particularly sustainable, mm. you know, uh, has a has an impact. Has, has benefits as well, of course, um, for like the area, for the economy, yeah, for yeah. sport, for things. Um, and of course, there is a strong argument that I agree with that Formula One can't just stick to the countries it's always gone to. I think it, you know, there are countries and areas I think it should also visit that it might have ignored. But, you know, again, when we ask people to build these brand new massive facilities, it comes at a environmental and sustainability cost. And we went to pay that career. We went to places like India. We went there for like two years and then we left and they built this humongous. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I think we need to like just, and that's kind of also why I understand why you get a new host and then you get, and then immediately give them a 10 year deal. Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff doesn't happen. I know a lot of people are like, you know, especially if it's countries they're not particularly um, yeah, yeah. fond of, which is a whole other story. But again, yeah, I, you can sort of see why Formula One likes to give new venues big deals to kind of make sure it's at least efficient for them. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations with Stardust. Thank you to Stuart for coming on to the show. It was an honour speaking with you. And also thanks to you, for listening and supporting the podcast. If you are new here, make sure to check out the other content on my channel and find me on social media. Thank you again for listening. I'll see you next time.